Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor story jumpers welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast are you ready to hear a great story of course that's why you're a story jumper darkness looms in the dragon lands war is brewing new threats have emerged in keladev The Watchmen of Thousand Falls and the Windhold find goblin tunnels in the slopes of the mountain barrier that may hold many dangerous creatures. At the same time, scouting missions into the Dragonlands confirm that the dragons are building an army of tortured Aladuth villagers to destroy the liberated lands. To protect Kara Orso, the young woman Connor and Lee rescued, the headmaster sends them to the second hall to face the intrigues of the assembly in her place. Far to the south, the two cadets learn of an old weapon designed to end the war between the dragons and the liberated land forever. To restore the honor of his family and renew the hope of his people, Connor believes he must find the weapon and use it to destroy the dragon leader. While Connor, Lee, and an assemblyman's daughter scour the Dragonlands for the weapon, Kara and Tyrion are drawn north into the Forest of Horrors on a mission of their own to find and save one tortured man. To succeed, both parties must face their fears and lean on the peace and strength of the rescuer. Enjoy this reading of Bear Knight by James R. Hannibal. Kara Orso Keladev, Forest of Believing. A small and tailless orange lashore, a paradragon to most folk, crawled out on an oak twig not far from Kara's eye. She sensed concern in the hesitant twitch of his four-legged gait. Relax, crumpet. Kara's whisper might easily have passed for a rustle of leaves. This is the lightest of the challenges I must face in the coming days, these five quests. Watch now. You may learn something. Her friend Connor had first introduced her to the little gliding creature not long after she'd entered the liberated land of Keladev, and the two had encountered him many times since in their walks in this unlikely high mountain forest. They'd dubbed him Crumpet because Tegan's falcon had nearly made a meal of him, hence the missing tail. But Connor was not here now, nor were Dagram Kaivos, Lee Trang, or Tegan. And Tegan's twin, Tyrion, if he had made a rare trip out of doors to observe the first of Kara's quests, was not permitted to help. Kara didn't need help, not on this quest. A horn blew. Crumpet scurried up the oak, presumably to gain a better view, and Kara set off with silent footsteps. One tick. After the horn, she had but one slow fill of a water clock's twelve day vessels to move from one end of the forest to the other, gathering three special items along the way. But what items? That part remained a mystery. A wooden circle, hung on a spruce, served as her first marker. 
the Guardians had burned the same clue into both sides. Near a well-known forest haunt, where warm water lies, claim the Tinker's favorite tool, unseen by the Tinker's eyes. Where warm water lies, Kara said to herself, lies, not flows. The forest had a river. The warm, spring-fed tributary known as the Gathering flowed down steep cataracts from the Academy's glade above, but its waters also branched out in underground streams to form seven pools. The deer favored the largest of these. She knew it well. Kara worked her way north to the spot and spied her first target. Master Balin, head of the Tinker's Sphere, walked the forest path. Claim the Tinker's favorite tool unseen by the tinker's eyes. Which tool? Calipers, wrenches, and all manner of devices Kara couldn't name hung from the hooks and loops of Balin's leather manikit vest. Which of them was she to take? Unseen by the tinker's eyes. She had to remain unseen while taking the tool. This first quest in the cadet scout rank required stealth through the whole course. She knew that, and the guardians of the light knew she knew. So why had they added Unseen to the clue? Perhaps the clue meant the tool itself was Unseen. Kara kept pace with Balin, moving from tree to tree. Unseen? At his back? She moved her gaze to the back of his many-kit vest and found a chipped lens with a wooden handle hanging from a loop behind his shoulder. She'd seen him use the glass many times, always giving the cadets the same old line. We must find the source of the problem before we can fix it. You young ones often miss that step. The Tinker's favorite tool. Balin moved at a quick pace, giving her no advantage. Not that she needed one. A lifetime of grinding and hammering in his workshop had left the old guardian nigh on deaf. She matched him step for step just off the path, then doubled her pace and crossed behind. The loop holding the lens hardly moved at her touch. In the space of a heartbeat, she was hidden again, tucking the tool into a pouch on her own mini-kit. A good start. Always the encouragers, the guardians had opened the quest by playing to her strength. Pickpocketing. Not the most noble pastime, but lifting keys from orc guards or death scrolls from granogs was a necessary light raider skill that fell within the ranger's sphere. The next two items would not be so easy. Three younger cadets patrolled the trees, heading her way. Instinct told Kara to retreat, but knowledge held her fast. Movement was how she'd spotted them, and movement would draw their eyes. Kara bowed her hooded head and pressed closer to the spruce. She'd chosen her cloak at the Outfitter for just such a moment. Its dyed wool matched the general colors of this forest. Once the younger cadets passed, Kara moved on and found the next wooden marker a few trees away. Down he comes from Anvil's height, guarding lock and key. Which will you choose? Take only one to set the captive free. Anvil Ridge. Kara knew of only two paths leading down from the western ridge, and one was behind her. She made for the other and heard a familiar baying. When the pine boughs thinned enough, she saw Quinton, the Academy's big swordmaster, looking the part of an oversized parcelman, driving a two-wheeled wagon full of apples. Amos the Mule, famous among the cadets for his stubbornness, dragged his burden along at the blazing speed of a tortoise. Sneaking closer, she saw an iron padlock unlocked in the eyelets of the wagon's rear gate. 
The key, a harder target, sat on the bench beside the big square-chinned swordmaster, tied to a long green kerchief which flopped over the side. Which will you choose? The padlock called to her from the back of the cart. A child could lift it free without alerting Quinton. Or even Amos, big mule ears and all. And what good was the key if the lock was already open? Kara took one step and stopped, crouching down again. Wait, she whispered to herself. Think. Just because she saw a lock and a key on the same wagon didn't mean the two were a match. The clue hinted at a captive to be freed. A padlock in her pocket had no use on such a mission. Looking closer, she saw the lock, though loose, held the gate in place. If she lifted it free, the resulting apple avalanche would give her away for sure. The key it is, then. But how? Kara breathed deep and closed her eyes to let the forest in, just as Dame Silvana had taught her. The crunch of the wagon wheels on the path. The mountain breeze on her cheeks. A small flock of birds chattering in the branches of a nearby oak. A plan formed. She readied her bow and hurried ahead of the cart. Once she'd chosen her spot, she planted an arrow in the grass and knocked a second. She drew the string back, listening to the tension build in the bow's recurved ash. A touch of wind lifted a corner of the cloth. Kara loosed her arrow at the tree full of birds, sending them skyward in a flapping, squawking mass. In the same breath, she pivoted, drew the second arrow, and shot. The green kerchief flew from the bench. With a quiet thuck, the arrow pinned it to a tree across the road. The noise of the birds settled. Quentin and Amos drove on as if unaware the key had left them. Or perhaps the swordmaster had shown leniency. Kara thought she saw him grin. Once they were out of sight, she ran to the key. Item number two. One to go. But where was the next marker? Kara stole through the brush in slowly broadening arcs. A ranger's search. No wooden disc materialized. Had she missed it? She dropped to a knee in a copse of inkberry to regroup and waited for another cadet patrol to pass. Unconsciously, she rubbed the bronze key between her fingers. A rough texture covered its clover-shaped bow. Was that writing? A key. A key to a lock? The key to her quest? She glanced down. Tiny, flowing script covered the clover. The stem, too. The key was the marker. But in the forest shade, she couldn't hope to read it. Her hand went to the pouch where she'd set Balin's glass, and when she held it over the key, she laughed. The script came to life under the lens. How da'ana koth kolema vadsepa mi kerator ma'aneth avahod. All things work together for the good of his people. The items were connected. The first combined with the second revealed the third clue. Imprisoned high near the wandering way, I await my rescuer's hand. Beware my guard, her eyes are keen. She'll catch you if she can. She'll catch you. Dame Silvana, the guardians had saved the hardest task for last. Connor Anarian Tanelathar, Emin Kisma. Is that not the biggest giant you've ever seen? Tegan glanced back at the creature of root and stone chasing her, Connor, and their new friend, Elise. He leveled the inn with a single blow. 
The giant took one earth-shaking step for every six of theirs. Connor turned his gaze forward again and pointed his crook at the tree line, struggling to find the breath for words. No time to gawk. Cadet scouts aren't meant to fight giants. So you said. Tegan showed far less strain in her voice. She'd always been lighter of foot. Unseen and unheard. That's our mission. She ducked as a rock the size of her head shattered a nearby tree. But we couldn't leave LSA behind. No, they couldn't. LSA had opened his eyes and heart to the rescuer and done much to preserve their lives. Connor would not ask him to spend one more day in this land. He and Tegan had seen too much in Tanelathar while hiding in bushes or peeking out from shadowed alleys these last few weeks. Connor had watched a goblin wound a child just to revel in her wailing. An iron orc had run a shopkeep through in a fit of rage. And the cadets had witnessed countless subtler evils from the Granogs. At the same time, they'd watched men and women selling their spirits, becoming barkhides, constables, and sorcerers, betraying their own and altering their bodies to become part of the dragon's grand war engine. Connor ducked, gritting his teeth as a big rock whistled past. The giant kept pulling them from his own clay chest. Can't make it to the hollow tree. Need cover, now! A falcon cried above, and Tegan lifted her gaze. Athia found some. Or she's found a rabbit, LSA said, lagging behind. She knows the difference between a hunt and a battle. Tegan's eyes dropped to the spaces between the trees ahead, and she squinted. Yes, an opening, possibly a cave. Please, Connor said. Not another cave. The notorious five quests by which a cadet stalwart moved to the cadet scout rank, hard as they were on Connor and his friends, had been child's play compared to the dangers of Tanelathar, orcs and granogs in the towns, goblins in the forests, but the caves. Connor had learned to avoid those at all costs. Most were occupied, usually by something foul. A rending of wood behind them drew Connor's eyes over his shoulder. He's taken a spruce for a club. It's the cave or a standoff. A standoff? LSA asked. Yes, and you'd surely be killed. Their new charge found fresh vigor and surged ahead. The cave it is, then. They rushed through the cave mouth with Connor coming last and the spruce crashed against the opening behind him, knocking him off his feet. He stood, brushing dirt and pine needles from his cloak. Lights, please, Tegan. She closed her eyes and lifted her head, letting her hood fall back from her red braids, and prayed, Mopednesh logosvu pyrlas, pomovainesh kelas. Word, lamp, way, light. The whole cave brightened with a light only Keladan could see. Tegan strode toward a narrow passage at the back, glancing upward as she walked. Honorio, Vrumosh. The spruce hit the cave mouth again, shedding branches and cones. Dust fell from the ceiling. What about it? Connor called to his friend, keeping his eyes on the danger. Is there another way out? Tegan rushed back to him with her voice lowered. Unlikely. The floor makes a sharp drop a few paces in, and there's worse news. Webs. Connor should have guessed. Their lessons had taught them giants and giant spiders often shared territory thanks to the compatibility of the dragons that animated them. LSA rested his arms on his knees, still breathing hard. Is the Keladan life always this exciting? Not in this way, Tegan said. Once we get to the hollow tree, you'll never have to return to this place. Not unless you choose. Assuming we get out. Connor crept toward the opening and bent low for a peek. The giant had drawn the tree up again, but had not made another swing. The rescuer will provide a way. He always does. Is he gone? Tegan asked. Elise shot her a glance. 
Can you not hear him in your head? The thrumming? The voice? I, I hear it as I've heard it for these last three years. Our town has been its captive. He rocked in time with the rhythm. Friend, stay. Friend, come out. Connor heard it too. Song sorcery. Rock and hollow wood drumming together inside the creature. The voice followed. Softer than the mock tree he'd heard the year before. But this giant did not call him friend. Liege, he heard it say within the song. Liege, stay. Liege, come out. Command me. You shall be my lord and I your mace. What pleasures in destruction we'll see. Could he control a giant? Such a feat promised an end to their present danger and a formidable weapon in future raids. As quickly as the thought entered his mind, a sacred verse pushed it out. Bidagro umirana koth pikodothofu, posorna koth vaiserev. I follow your precepts. I hate every false way. The song ended with an enraged scream. Back! Tegan jerked Connor away from the opening. Clay knuckles crusted with rune-etched stones pounded the cave mouth. The hill shook. In the quiet that followed, Connor heard a scratching sound from the hole in the back. Bad things are coming. The giant song has called to its sister creatures. We can't hide here much longer. But how do you fight a clay creature with no flesh to pierce? Tegan unfastened a buckle at the shoulder of her many-kit vest, drew a coil of rope free from her arm, and held it out. With this? Elise nodded. Yes, a great ravine runs down the center of Emin Kisma through this forest. It lies to our west, not far. We'll have to run fast to outpace the giant strides. And we'll have to choose our moment with great care, Connor said. A green glowing eye appeared at the cave mouth, set in a socket of twisted roots and vines. Leash, come out. Command me. Tegan flung a dagger straight into the glowing eye. Go! All three raced out as the creature reared up. Elise took the lead. Follow me. The giant tossed the dagger away and gave chase. There! Elise pointed at a gap between two great pines. The level ground ends at a cliff. I can hear the river below. Connor veered away from the other two. Keep going. I'll distract him as long as I can, and then I'll bring him your way. If I survive. The words the creature had spoken in the song gave Connor the inkling it would follow him over the others. He was right. The giant matched his course and hurled a rock that smashed against a boulder. Debris sliced into his cheek. He kept on running, slipping a flat stone into his sling. Rescuer, help us to do this. Help us bring Elise home. A cry from above told him he had Athea's support. The falcon dove toward the giant, harrying its pursuit. The slow swipe of its hands stood no chance of knocking her from the sky. Thank you, Rumash, Connor whispered. With their great strides, giants could not well manage a circular course. Another lesson from the academy, hard won by light raiders who'd come before. Connor used this lesson and Athea's attack to open his lead and give his comrades time to prepare the trap. Once he'd made the turn, he straightened his line and sprinted toward the two great pines LSA had shown him. Tegan and their new friend remained hidden, but Connor knew they were there and ready. Gasping, he spoke another sacred verse in prayer. Men advernesh liberahini, elerov anamesh rekrethana. Rescue me. In you I hide. He dropped to a knee with his cloak and hood covering him and his crook lying in the grass. The giant thundered past. A beat later, Connor lifted his eyes and cupped his hands to his mouth. Now! A rope hidden in the grass went taut as Tegan and Elise pulled on the ends and wrapped them around the tree. 
Neither could hold on when the creature's leg hit, but the trap was enough to off-balance him. The giant teetered and flailed while the falcon continued to dive at its head. The creature tried to turn, and Connor got his first long look at the full monster. Great hunks of bark covered its legs and forearms like greaves and gauntlets. Rocks formed a breastplate. The root and vine countenance, with its long moss beard and leafy branches like antlers, looked most pitiable. Friends, it said out loud. Liege, Connor heard in his mind. Connor let his stone fly. The rock sailed past Atheus' flapping wings and dug deep into the clay between the roots at the giant's forehead. The creature toppled backward into the ravine. The three set off again at a run, keeping a hard pace until they arrived at a hill familiar to Connor and Tegan. As they climbed, a pine sapling at the crest grew into a broad spruce with a framed doorway in the trunk. A lantern hung over the frame, lit in welcome. Elise let out a shout of joy. What a wonder! We've made it! Athea reached the hollow tree first and flew through the doorway. Tegan arrived next. She paused to turn and smile at Elise and opened her mouth to speak, but she never got the chance. Liege! Connor heard the bellowing voice in his head. The giant appeared from behind the hill and grabbed the upper trunk of the hollow tree. Roots erupted from the soil at Connor's feet. He shoved Tegan through the door, then held out his shepherd's crook for Elise to catch. With all his might, he lifted his charge until both could scramble up the roots to the threshold. Go through! Hurry! Elise vanished into golden light. As Connor fell through after him, he twisted his body and saw the giant opening its wooden maw. What would happen if the giant swallowed the hollow tree while they were still passing through the portal? Story jumpers, what an adventure we've got this time. Chased by giants, getting tested for ranger skills. What kind of a world is this? I've got somebody who can help unravel all the mystery around what we find in the Light Raider Academy trilogy. The author, James R. Hannibal. James, thanks so much for joining us on Story Jumpers. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I have personally read two of the Light Raider Academy books. Uh, The first is Wolf Soldier, and the second is this book, Bear Knight. And I love them both because I love fantasy stories. So what can you tell us Uh, Just as a quick intro about this trilogy, what is it that you're trying to achieve and what do you want readers to walk away enjoying from this book? So the the Light Raider Academy trilogy uh, is all part of a fantasy world that's a, a group of stories and games that are all interconnected. And on our purpose in this Light Raiders realm is discipleship. So the Light Raider Academy trilogy is introducing um, readers and players to the world uh, that the cadets experience at Light Raider Academy at a time when when the knighthood, the Light Raider order um, that has been shut down for two generations is being rekindled. The fires of Ross Telesar, which is Light Raider Academy, are being rekindled. And so in Wolf Soldier, uh, we're dealing with the theme of loyalty as the cadets learn to become a group together uh, and uh, 
are they loyal to their own designs or to the designs of the rescuer who is the allegorical Christ figure in the story? Um, and then in the second book, Bear Knight, we're dealing with fears in, on multiple levels. And so we see that in the, the physical characters that the, that the um, light raiders have to face, the monsters and creatures that they're facing, but we also see that in their interactions as the, the, the fears that teens have in a group together, such as dealing with, uh, you know, trying to keep up with the group. Or, or fear of failure, things like that. Yeah, it was a just packed full of adventure, high stakes adventure the whole time. It really doesn't let up. I've, I've been able to read the whole book and and the action, the adventure, the puzzles, the way that the cadets have to you know solve problems or figure out solutions to things. I'm reminded of games that I used to play when I was a kid. Um, and how you would really get involved and, and you'd almost experience it. Well, it, it's like being back at the table of one of those games. Um, and so you said that Light Raider Academy is based on a fantasy world that was created in the 80s for discipleship. What's that all about? So it, back in the mid-80s, uh, Christian counselor and Navigator's author Dick Wolf created the Dragon Raid game. And he created it for youth groups as a discipleship tool using the principles of role-playing that he had used in counseling Christians and sort of putting yourself in others' shoes. And so he took that and he created a tabletop game in which the players or the students place themselves in the shoes of a fantasy adventurer who is a light raider um, who strikes out from the liberated land into the dragon lands to rescue the lost. So that game only lasted a couple of years, um, and, but it, it impacted me as a teenager. So fast forward, you know, many, many years, too many than I wish to admit, um, uh, and I, I went looking for an old Dragon Raid box set um, for my own children, so I, would, so I would take them through the original 1980s games. And because the game only lasted a couple of years in that era, um, I quickly ran out of story. So I began to write my own and take my kids through those, um, and those stories that I wrote got back to Dick Wolf, the original creator. And when he was diagnosed with a terminal illness, he asked me to take the system over, carry it forward to a new generation. So um, later this year, we will launch the new system, um, the full Bible study, Light Raiders Bible Adventure System, um, or Light Raiders Adventure Bible System, sorry. And uh, But in the meantime, while we were creating that, uh, a whole team of people, we also uh, began this Light Raider Academy trilogy to introduce the world through a set of novels yeah well i can tell you for one i'm ready to play i have tried to go out and get a copy of the old um dragon raiders or you know copies that you did have available uh guess what i was a couple of clicks too late i can't get them anymore so i'm really excited for that box when it comes out i think my kids are really going to enjoy it one of the things that i found so fascinating about the game structure and also, the book um, is that in often fantasy stories, you deal with magic. And so people are casting spells or getting things done with spells. And sometimes that can be a tricky thing to navigate when you're you know, discussing the realities of magic or, or, or whatnot with people. Uh, some folks can get hung up on that idea. What 
Light Raider Academy and the trilogy of books does so well, I think, is take this idea of using scripture to call on help from the creator and actually impact the world around these cadets and get things done, heal each other, encourage each other, uh, bring light into a dark situation, not only um, through, you know, like allegorically, but they actually can light up a cave because they're calling on help from the creator. So it's a really, really cool way to do that. You've got to tell me something, though. Did you make up all those languages and words? Uh, so, yes, I did. James, James R. Brown also helped with that. Uh, and Dr. Gary Huckabee helped with that. Dr. Gary Huckabee is a professor of, or was a professor of Old Testament in Hebrew. Um, and so you might see some Hebrew influences there. A lot of, a lot of the legwork on the language is, is uh, what I did. Um, but for me, that was a method to bring Dick Wolf's creation to life in a novel versus the game. Because when we're in the game, we use scriptures in the same way, uh, as prayers, um, to ask for help, as declarations of the truth, um, and as counseling to help our teammates. Mm. And so it's it's very different. We're very clear on um, Acts 8, and uh, you can go into Acts 8 and you can read about Simon the Sorcerer mm-hmm. and, and what the Bible says about magic. And so uh, we want to be very definitive about that at Light Raiders and, and how we treat magic in our stories because they're fantasy stories and who has the power. Tolkien was the same way. You can look at Tolkien, you can look, look at Lewis and you can see how they treated it and uh, it's those nuances that separate them from other story groups. But so for us, because we're using scripture, we want to be very, very careful that we're not using scripture's magic spells. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so that's not my creation, that's that's Dick Wolf's creation and, and I, that's something that I get to carry forward because of a part of his amazing way to help um, students and players learn scripture and not just scripture but the application of scripture yes. through applying it in a fantasy contest uh, context that will help them understand the real world context and so that's just like for me that was massive learning as a teenager um, yes. the language is how we take that because in the game you're just using the the English language it, it's it's okay to do that in the game but when you're when you're immersing a reader in a novel, into a fantasy world, you don't want to take them out by using a verse which is part of our world's mm-hmm. reality and part of our world's both history and present reality. Yes, yeah. Um, and so, but we also don't. We also want to stay true to the Word of God. So what we did is we created an actual language in which we translate um, a specific version of the Bible um, into these scriptures. And then uh, the, you see that language spoken in the story or thought through in the story. Mm-hmm. And then the characters um, repeat key subject, uh, key words and, and key subject matter so that the, the reader can identify, can say, oh, I know what scripture they have. Mm-hmm. Seek, knock, find. Oh, I know what scripture that is without being taken completely out of the story. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a fascinating way to um, bring the reality of scripture and the power of scripture into a fantasy realm marry the two it's almost as if you know these folks had uh, at some point gotten a copy of our bible and learned everything that they needed to learn <laughs> and like it's it's really cool it's really really cool um it also encouraged me as a believer because you walk away reading this story both stories you walk away reading bare night just with this sense of you know these cadets were tested in things they were you know they had troubles they had to face they rose to the occasion, but they did that through, like you said, the, the encouragement of their friends, through prayer, 
through you know discipleship and reading uh, the word and kn- knowing the word and applying the word, and you walk away from their fantasy engagement thinking I could do that myself. I could I could live that way if I wanted to. You know, you could really live biblical scripture out in your life. That's that's the biggest sense that I get when I walk away from this book. And, and that makes me so happy to hear because that's how I felt as about Dragon Raid. I mean, I was I was a pastor's kid in Colorado Springs in the 80s. I I was a guinea pig for every youth Bible study program to come out of every major um, uh, Bible program producer out there. Right, um, right. And so, and it was Dragon Raid that stuck with me for for the rest of you know going into high school, going into the Air Force Academy, going into the military, becoming a, you know a fighter pilot and a stealth pilot. Um, I, I saw myself in a way as a light raider. Yes, and I and I employed those principles because it's really just founding it on the fruit of the spirit, which in in the original Dragon Race system we called our character strengths, and in the new system we call our our core strengths, just for some semantics with character building, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then the the armor of God. So you know, with those foundations of the fruit of the spirit and the armor of God, and 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 carrying each scripture back to that, which almost helps you also organize it in your mind, but see how it's affecting you, um, then that stuck with me all the way through. That's very cool. Very cool. So you mentioned Bear Knight uh, deals with the topic of fears and overall theme of fear. And there were some moments for me that were like very suspenseful and, um, you know, very uh, like, are they going to get out of this? And and they were confronting some creatures and things that were really made you unsettled and uncomfortable, which was good, you know, for storytelling. <laughs> but what would you say the biblical message that you hope to convey through Bear Knight is? What is the overreaching message of this book and then of the whole series? So uh, bears in the Light Raider world represent courage. And so the Havara bear that we meet in the story, who's a talking bear, um, what they embody is the ability to rush into that spiritual danger, you know, physical fantasy danger, um, because they rest entirely in the hope and the peace of their rescuer, uh, of their creator. And so for the cadets also, they learn to trust in their armor, their, their, what is their helmet of salvation and their shield of faith and their breastplate of righteousness. Those things shield them to such a degree that they can face any creature, uh, because they know that their victory through the rescuer, the Christ figure is assured. And so no fear. Um, is too much for them. And that's what we will hopefully walk away from from Bear Knight. And then uh, with Wolf Soldier, the wolf in the stories represents loyalty. And so that was uh, loyalty to the rescuer's purpose versus our own. So those mm. are, you know, and then in Lion Warrior, which is coming up, uh, we will see uh, a different theme, faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So would you call these uh, novels allegorical? 
Yeah, you know, I would. Allegory is a, is a tough topic, right? Um, you know, so uh, it's hard to escape allegory. When, you know, whatever fiction we're writing in, in some way often is allegorical. Um, ha- these stories, the, the game, the original Dragon Raid was, was highly allegorical. And you could very clearly see what represented the lost, what represented the church, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, if you do straight allegory in fiction writing, all you're doing is just assigning a different name to things mm. from reality. So you can't do straight allegory and write good fiction, in in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that the Light Reader series is strong on allegory, but uh, the readers should not be lost in the allegory and looking for an allegorical direct one-to-one mm. uh, equality between our world and their world on every facet of the story. Because if we did that, then again, we would just be assigning different names to things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's done well. Well, I really did appreciate the things that I, like you said earlier, you know, knock in the door will open. Like you, you, you hint at or you mention a few phrases and all of a sudden you know what you're talking about. You, you know the correlation in our world, right? Not just for the scripture, but also through some of the uh, characters, through their type, and also through some of the groupings, you know, some of the some of the clusters of groups that, that form up together. So, so it's very, very well written. I really enjoyed the story. Now, these stories, they're not just tied to the 1980s Bible study game. They're part of a new movement going forward um, for that system and for the books themselves. Can you tell us a little bit more about where Light Raiders is headed or where where you hope to see it go? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think of Wolf Soldier in the series as it has grown, going from Wolf Soldier to Bear Knight to the final book in, in the, in the three book trilogy, you'll see that gap bridge from where Wolf Soldier is closer to the original Dragon Raid. And then we're growing towards the new Light Raider, um, Light Raiders Adventure Bible system. Um, and the, some of the differences in that are we go a little bit, uh, deeper with, um, discipleship principles. Um, we you know, brought in Dr. Huckabee for making sure every scripture was applied correctly in context of the scripture as a whole. Um, and then we, we went a little bit, uh, we well, significantly changed the, the monster characters mm. um, so that the, they're a little bit more in line with how the fantasy uh, worlds have progressed, you know, 35 years later. And so you, you see significantly more development of these different kinds of, of creatures that represent sin and, and uh, evil's corruption of God's creation in, yeah. in our world. So where we're going with this is we, we, we launched uh, a couple of uh, stair-step games um, in the last year and a half or so. So we have a, a uh, the Star Lots is a family board game that is in the same world, and families can sit around the table and and go through a mini adventure in this world that's kind of driven by a card deck, and then moving around a, a map on the table with these and rolling the dice. Um, and we also uh, codified almost we had uh, about eighty five scriptures um, that were part of the original game and the in the first set of the new game, and we used those scriptures in the stories. So. We, at, we, we launched the First Watch card deck, which is its own card game, which is a scripture memory and application card game. It also serves as like a verse of the day Bible study with Dr. Huckabee's um, real world applications. But it also has the fantasy applications. And so you can 
see, you can actually find one of those verses where you say, oh, I know, it's in another language, but I know what verse that is. You can find it in the card deck and say, and see the same fantasy events sort of happening on the card as you see happening to the characters in the book for that relation. And so finally, later this year, we'll launch the full system, which will be um, as Dragon Raid was, where you're creating a character in this world, and you're taking part in your own adventure, um, joining the Academy, becoming a cadet and a cadet scout, and later on a light raider knight. And going off on these adventures and applying the same set of scriptures um, in various ways to to declare God's sovereign power, to counsel each other when you when you suffer the infections of of uh, despair or anger and things like that, um, and then to uh, ask for help in, in tearing down a wall or something like that. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I, I think it's really neat to see that legacy of uh, Dick Wolf uh, live on. Um, I'm glad that he found someone who was qualified to do it, a true light raider knight who's carrying on that legacy and, and going to see it through. Um, I'm glad that your kids have benefited from it. And now, because your family you know, kept that fire alive, a lot of other families are going to be able to enjoy that and hopefully get the discipleship that they need um, if they are you know, fantasy-loving readers. Uh, you know, they'll be able to move in, in that realm that they enjoy so much and still be able to equip their faith uh, to live out strong lives, biblical, uh, Christ-centered lives. So really, really cool accomplishment. I only have one more question. Would you please come back and share with us the next book when it's ready? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. That would be great. Okay, very cool, James. Well, thanks so much. We'll look forward to seeing you real soon. Parents. Former stealth pilot James R. Hannibal is no stranger to secrets and adventure. He has been shot at, locked up by surface-to-air missiles, and was once chased by an armed terrorist down a winding German road. James is a three-time winner of the Silver Falchion Award for Juvenile Fiction for his Section 13 series. James sees and feels sounds and smells and hears flashes of light, and he uses those rare neurological phenomenon to catch bad guys. James is a multi-award winning Christian author and the developer of the Light Raiders Adventure Bible System. These stories are part of the Light Raiders realm, which has a purpose of discipleship through fantasy adventure. Parents will find scriptures woven throughout the stories with fantasy and real world applications that help readers gain a deeper understanding of the word. You can learn more about his books when you visit lightraiders.com.